What is new, Cast and Blast party people? That's what Will always says when he walks in the room. What's up, party people? Um, I don't necessarily think of all of you as party people, but in my heart, yes, you're party people. Hope everyone is doing great, having a great week. This is Travis coming at you solo this week. And the reason I'm coming at you solo is because I'm going to talk. How am I going to do this? Let's call this a campfire chat. All right, I'm going to give you some stuff that's in my head. I'm not even remotely certain that I'm right about any of this. Like this, I'm just going to give you stuff that's in my head that I think is thought provoking. Um, I think I'll get some pushback on some of this and people say I disagreed with that. And I think that's good. I'd like to hear that. I'd like to wrestle. Like some of these are things I just need to wrestle with personally. But I think... You know, one of the things we always try to glom onto around either Cast and Blast or All Florida or our Facebook groups or any of the conversations, the comments we make at commission meetings or, or any any kind of public meeting or whatever, is we just try to be honest and we try to be authentic. And so um, today, this week, this episode, you're going to get me wrestling with some stuff. Um, it won't be as lighthearted as we usually try to be. And it'll be me flying solo to keep everyone else out of trouble. And I'm going to go ahead and do Fletcher Hallett's ad now, 904-315-5812. and call or text or email fhallett at hallettends.com. The reason I'm doing his ad now is in case I say something later in this episode that he disagrees with. Um, he is not tacitly endorsing me saying that. These are the thoughts and opinions of my own. But seriously, if you have not reached out to Fletcher to get an insurance quote, called him to, to get um, him to review your policy, commercial, home, life, boat, whatever, Fletcher Hallett, Hallett Insurance is your guy. He's our guy, 904-315-5812. So I've got a lot of stuff running around in my head, but I've narrowed it down to six things I'm going to talk about. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is a lot of folks asked, um, I was at last week at the time of this recording last week, I was at the Florida, the inaugural, <laughs> they should have, man, they missed a chance. I said I wasn't going to be funny, but I am going to be a little bit funny. Well, I think I'm funny, but they missed a chance at calling it the first annual inaugural because that would have been just icing on the freaking cake. Also, if in the background of this, like usually we have pretty crystal clear audio, but if in the background of this, it sounds like a jet engine is taking off, that is my MacBook. That is not an air conditioner. That is not a jet. That is my MacBook. And I just, I don't, I'm not quite sure what's going on there, but it's, you know, it's running on all cylinders. So we got her souped up. Anyway, went to the Wildlife Corridor Summit. Um, really, what a privilege to be invited to that. First, let me say that. Like, super thankful that there are folks out there that think enough of the work that we do to include us in that in that list, in that discussion, um, just super, super thankful to be able to be in the room. It was, let me say this. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. So I'm going to be super positive about it, but I also, I'm going to tell you some like bizarro things that I saw because it was, there was some stuff that's like, it's the first one of those they've ever done. And so first thing that the, I know all of you have probably been to conferences for your work or like I used to do that when I worked at corporate America all the time. You went to trade shows or you went to conferences or, or just any, any kind of leadership training or summits or whatever. So um, we go to this one and it's at the Orlando world center Marriott. They did a great job with the rooms. They did a great job with the logistics, like laying it all out. They did a great job with the food. They did a great job with the uh, 
the set and stuff. It was almost surreal, like how much they threw at the aesthetic of it. Because I mean, everything from the check-in desk to the carpet on the floors, to the walls, to the stage. I mean, it was all on brand Florida wildlife corridor, live wildly, like the whole nine yards. Uh, they wrapped the elevator doors, I think, unless they just happened to luck into the Marriott having similar designs. But I'm pretty sure they wrapped the elevator doors. I mean, it was it was really cool the nth degree they went to. Um, but su- super super privileged to be at that. Super cool to be at that. But I was gonna say it was it was a little bit surreal to be there um, because it was such a small conference. I would I would guess there were around two two hundred fifty people because some people would come for like one day and not the next. Um, small conferences are always the best conferences, but they're hard to keep small because you want to grow them. So it won't be like that again, which will be awesome. And also a little bit, you know, sad because then you can't, I think there are eight or 10 elected officials there in a room of 250 people. So being able to go talk to a lawmaker, a legislator, um, there were a number of folks from state agencies, DEP, NRCS, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, um, all the land trust folks were there. All of our friends from Conservation Florida were there. Um, obviously, the Path of the Panther, tons of creative people there. Nat Geo people were there. Uh, some ranchers were there. So, it was really cool. Um, there was not. Let me, let me say this carefully because I thought the corridor staff and the organizers of the meeting, the people on stage, I thought they really wanted to try to include sportsmen in the conversation, which I appreciate as a sportsman. Um, you know, I identify myself as a conservationist. Uh, we identify all Florida as a conservation organization, but in my heart of hearts, I truly believe that that hunting and fishing are parts of conservation. I think they're valuable management tools. I'm a true believer in the wildlife conservation model. So, um, there weren't a ton of sportsmen there. And that could be because they invited others that did not make the trip. I know there were a few that were, were listed that are kind of from sportsmanish groups that did not come. Um, but I'd, I'd love to see just some more sportsmen participate next year. But I was really, I was pleased to be a sportsman in the room that could kind of lend my perspective. And, and anyway, so I'm being a little bit redundant there, but I, but I also, it, it would have been cool to have, it's always hard when you feel alone. And that's not to knock, like there were other sportsmen there, but they were representing whatever their interests were um, at large. So like, like our friend Adam Bass is a, he's a great sportsman. He's an avid hunter, fisherman, like that dude is feral. He belongs in the wild places, but he's there from Conservation Florida, a land trust. So his interests are going to kind of align there and, and there's overlap. Absolutely. But sometimes when you're having a conversation, you want to, uh, you really want to open the door. And so they, they did a great job. They actually let me, um, do a panel for the last morning for breakfast on hunters and anglers and conservation. Um, that was super cool. I really appreciate the the staff for letting us put that together. Kind of sucked because no one came to that panel, <laughs> but you live and learn and hopefully we can do some better marketing for it next year and get out ahead of it and, and really uh, help steer the conversation in a, in a, in a positive way. So um, met so many people there, so many great people. I, I can't even, I, if I started naming them, I would forget, but people I've known kind of either online or in ethereal conversations in the conservation space for a long time, um, particularly comes to mind the, the folks from National Wildlife Federation, Melissa and, and Mandy, who I've known kind of through Bill Cooksey, our friend for a long time, um, got to finally meet them and have lunch with them. Some of the creatives, some folks, 
a number of folks we've done interviews with over the years were there and uh they were not uh, some of them I had never met in real life so it was cool, cool to finally meet them in real life hug their neck it's cool to see some people that I've worked with on other projects before so um super thankful to be a part of that there was a surreal thing I have to tell you all about and and they rented out the house of blues and hired Casey and the sunshine band to come play at the house of blues and I'm gonna I I'm just this is just Travis being Travis okay like you could have knocked me over with a feather when Casey and the Sunshine Band came out because I had no idea who they were. Like in my mind, they were like a Motown kind of funk band. And I I truly, 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 honestly did not know that Casey was a white dude. And so when he walks out there, he's he's 70 something years old and he's he's a little bit he's put on a few pounds over the years, I would guess. And he's a white dude. And I, I mean, they're fantastic. They were they put on a great show, um, but it was a really surreal experience to be in the rented out house of blues with just this small group of people with Casey and the sunshine band there, um, rocking it out. Uh, go see Casey soon. I would say folks, because I, I, he's still getting after it, but I don't know um, how much longer that's going to, that's going to be happening. All right. I said, I'm going to talk to you about some serious stuff. Um, and I'll get back to kind of the wildlife corridor here in a second. Cause I'm going to loop it back around, but I was asked, um, I was asked to join through the NRA, Hunting Wire. There's like three or four entities that are part of this. I was asked to ask it, ask it. That's great, Travis, because it's a writing thing. So it'd be awesome if you could speak in English. I was asked to join a leadership panel. It's called Voices of Leadership. And I was, someone actually recommended me to be on the panel. And the idea is you write six or eight columns a year. They're kind of op-eds, but they're think pieces. And um, they get nationally syndicated and they're, they're on ideas. One of the big ones last year was about Sunday hunting and blue laws in, in the, some of the Eastern towns. And if you're not familiar with that, it's like the idea, I think Pennsylvania, Virginia, North Carolina still had some areas where you could not hunt on Sundays. And so, um, you know, they jump started a conversation out of that where, where, and that's been going on for years. People have been trying to get those laws overturned this year. A number of those States actually, uh, reenacted Sunday hunting. So, um, anyway, I was asked to work on one on conservation funding in particular stuff that we have talked about ad nauseum on our podcast. So I I won't bore you guys to tears with the details, but in particular conservation funding in Florida, um, we have obviously replaced hunter and angler dollars in our state. So if we're talking wildlife conservation, we are talking a, our wildlife agency has a budget of about 430, 440 million dollars. And hunter anglers generate about 70 million of that, give or take. And hunting and game management is funded at 7.4 million. So we pay more than our share, but also, you know, I've I've asked questions in the past. We don't have an R3 coordinator. Um, it doesn't seem to me like we promote hunting well, and that's not a knock on staff. That's that's more I feel almost like as a a shift in the wind. Maybe um, I don't know that I would pin that on any one person or any leadership specifically, as much as um, we've talked a little bit about the relevancy roadmap before and the idea that we are shifting away from utilitarian use as a mindset of our people to mutualistic use as a, as a, can we coexist with butterflies and can we coexist with manatees and why would we want to shoot bears? And I I think that's part of just the nature of society that we're going down, but 
when you add all of that up and then you look at historically the amount of money that hunters and anglers have raised for conservation in this country, it's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow because it's like, well, you know, we, we are, we, we are not doing used to, you could say is a hunter a conservationist. And and the answer was absolutely unequivocally. Yes. Maybe in the sixties, seventies, eighties, even I think today that answer is not the same. Um, I don't think the answer is unequivocally yes. And I think that is where there's a concern in this. I think you can choose to be a conservationist and be a hunter, but I think because we have changed the funding model so drastically over time and the dollar numbers have gone up so high and hunter numbers have plummeted so low that we've seen kind of a magnitude shift in our relevance on the landscape. And that's a thing that makes Travis super uncomfortable, not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying it's right either, but I am saying it's a thing that makes me super uncomfortable. And it's a thing that I'm wrestling with and struggling with and, um, uncomfortable with And, and let me, let me throw you another number out. I said, I was going to come back to the wildlife corridor. So the year that that legislation passed to give us a wildlife corridor, that was 2021. Um, I think the state funded it at 435 million, just stroke a check. Let's, let's do this thing. Uh, this year, uh, through Senate Bill 2508, the appropriations bill, we ended up with $100 million in Florida Forever funding and $300 million in the rural and family lands funding. So that is not, I, I, these are not air quotes, but that is, quote, conservation funding dollars. So if you look at the state of Florida's conservation funding dollars, you're talking about in the fiscal year of 2022, there's going to be almost a billion dollars available for conservation funding, be it wildlife management, fisheries management, research, um, land acquisition, fee simple, conservation easements, the whole nine yards, almost a billion dollars. Hunters are about 70 million or 7% of that. So really we're our hunters and fishermen consumptive use is about 70, 70 million. So we have drastically, drastically, drastically changed our place on the landscape because our place on the landscape, Shane Mahoney has said this before in his preacher voice. If you ever listen to him, he's got a podcast out there and it's, it's like recordings of him speaking at events. It's not like he's going to do a regular podcast, but you can go find it. There's only like 10 or 12 episodes the last time I looked and you can listen to those. And he will say what separates us and what keeps hunting on the landscape, what keeps us on the landscape is the funding model. Like he's very clear about that. And in Florida, particularly we no longer have that same funding model. So that begins to to uh, open, I think, some threads to tug on that are connected to a bunch of stuff that we talk about. Um, how do you keep hunters relevant if they're no longer a primary or even necessary source for conservation funding? How can hunters maintain a relevance when we get into this landscape conservation discussion, which by the way, everyone says this is kind of a new conversation, but landscape conservation is a chapter in the North American model of wildlife conservation. It goes back to Gifford Pinchot and Theodore Roosevelt and, um, man, what is that guy's name? His last name is Marsh. I cannot remember his first name. And it gets into John Muir and, and Yosemite and the Adirondacks and Yellowstone and, Landscape conservation is not a new concept, but it is um, a popular concept in this day and age. And that's, I think that's a fantastic thing, but I don't think it doesn't fit into the North American model. I think it actually fits into that really well. And we can argue about that and kind of bandy that about some, but um, 
anyway, how do we fit into that? How do we, how do we maintain relevance? And I'm thinking out loud here. Like I have not written notes out. I've got like six bullet points and that's it. I don't, I don't have notes on this. Um, but part of the thing I think about is, well, you could increase the constituency that is hunters. Um, we, you know, I went on, I was on a different podcast week last week and I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And I said something that makes me kind of unpopular with a lot of folks in Florida, but it is, it can make me unpopular, but it's true. And it makes me unpopular with a lot of folks in the, the, uh, hunting and fishing communities. But that is this, we complain all the time about people moving to our state and changing our state. And we can pay, we complain because I would, I would venture to say that overwhelmingly hunters in Florida are conservative leaning, like not just slightly conservative leaning, like heavily conservative leaning. I would say it's less the case of fishermen, but still overwhelmingly fishermen are conservative leaning in Florida. So we complain a lot that people are moving here and bringing quote unquote, their liberal values. They're turning my red state blue. They're doing this. They're doing that. But the people they're moving here under, the people that are encouraging that growth are all Republicans that all of the sportsmen stand by and elected. And I'm saying that as a guy that is a conservative. I'm a registered Republican. I don't mind saying that. But I am uncomfortable sometimes with us pigeonholing everything, labeling everything around political parties. And also that the political parties don't necessarily, I won't say the individuals don't have our best interest at heart because I've met a lot of politicians that I thought, wow, that's a thoughtful person. That's a, that's a public servant that I want to be lined up next to. But I do think particularly from a sportsman standpoint, that it's pretty easy to look around our state that is Republican controlled and has been Republican controlled for 20 some odd years. And it's hard sometimes to see sportsman things getting traction. And the reason is these politicians that sportsmen almost overwhelmingly support adamantly like worship at their altar. Um, don't necessarily have sportsmen's best interest or concerns at the tip of their finger. So it's, it's just a weird conundrum to me. And I, like I said earlier, you guys know, I'm not one to shy away from stuff. That's kind of controversial. I think that's a thing that we've got to, increase our sportsman numbers, but also we have some level of power between fishermen, hunters, and shooting sports. That is a $12 billion industry in Florida. Those three things. That's not nothing. It's, it's not Disney world, but it's not nothing. Um, you're talking about 10,000 jobs. No, it's 10,000 jobs on the shooting sports and hunting side. There's another, ugh, 10,000, 20,000 on the fishing side. I mean, it's a significant economy when you get into it. Someone told me, actually it was Rick Murphy of Sportsman's Adventures once told me that if fishing was considered its own industry, it would be the third largest industry in Florida. So these are not insignificant um, things we're talking about, but I feel like sometimes we don't have the lobby that you see with like the hospitality industry or the healthcare industry or the it, the agriculture industry, and that's not a knock on any of those guys for being organized and having a lobby, but sometimes we don't do a very good job at that. And this is, this is where the wheels kind of come off the wagon for us because the thing we care about is a little bit in jeopardy. And the reason it's in jeopardy is because of the way we've got this system set up. So I get into things like R3. I think we do a crappy job of R3. I've gotten into things you've seen on social media where I've pushed back on FWC social media, which 
I've praised them. They've done a much better job in the last six months of um, promoting hunting, promoting fishing on their social media channels. But prior to that, you could go like months and months and months without seeing those things promoted. So I feel like if we really cared about this thing, we would talk about it more. We'd be trying to increase it. We'd be trying to drive it. And there's 200,000 hunting licenses sold in Florida. Why aren't we, it was funny at the wildlife corridor event, one of the speakers, he was a developer. One of the speakers talked about how to do conservation, the way we're talking about doing it. We need a man on the moon kind of moment. And it was the idea that Kennedy stood up in 1962, that, um, we would, we would, put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. And we did in 1969, we landed a man on the moon, unless you're a conspiracy theorist and you don't think that we did that. Um, in which case I'll, uh, maybe we should get another sponsor. That's a therapist, but I, I love that. I also love the idea. I, I can't remember if it was, it was Eisenhower that we needed a, we needed an air force and they didn't think that we could make 10,000 planes. And we made a hundred thousand planes in world war two. I love the idea of the manifestation of that, the the claiming something up front, the saying, hey, we're going to do this thing. I, I want to ask the question, like, why can't we draw a line in the sand and say we want to see between hunting licenses and fishing licenses, we sold just under 2 million last year. Why can't we say we want to see that number at 3 million next year? Why, why can't we say we want to see hunters go from 200,000 in the state of Florida to 500,000 in the state of Florida. And I know that there's some folks out there that are like, wait, what is wrong with you? What the F are you talking about? Where are we going to put all those guys? But the fact is, if we had those guys, we would have to create more places to put them. There would not be a choice. And we would have the constituency to go to the agency and push back on that type of stuff. So, um, I think that's a, that's the type of stuff. That's the type of big thinking we need to be considering, thinking about talking about, um, like I said, I know some of this stuff's going to make us uncomfortable and I'm not saying I'm right. I just, I, I want to wrestle with that stuff. Uh, moving on, I am going to bring up, and this is all tangentially connected to each other. We're going to bring up Lakeland stuff. Lakeland is back in the headlines as it is every two weeks when they have a commission meeting because their commission spends more time talking about duck hunting than the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission does. Um, so this week in Lakeland City Commission headlines, we had a couple of interesting speakers come to the commission meeting and speak at the end of it. One was a gentleman from the Lake Region Audubon Society. And this was bizarro to me because I didn't quite, I watched it once today and I'm not going to go back and watch it again. Frankly, I just, I don't have that kind of time, but he, he stood up in front of the commission and he said, so I'm going off memory. So forgive me if I'm slightly wrong on this, but I'm, I'm going off memory for what he said. He walked up to the commission and said, he, he played a video showing how wild and beautiful Lake Parker is. All the birds that are on there and all the, you know, he has Louisiana herons and, or I'm sorry, that's not what they're called anymore. Tricolored herons and uh, purple gallinules and black belly whistling ducks. He's got pictures of all these like, with music behind it. And it's, it's really, although he does have like the GPS lady reading the, the, uh, you know, the super monotone, um, turn left at Althea drive. He has her reading the video and, um, he gets through it. And then he talks about the fact that he found, and I, I, this is where I get a little fuzzy. He found in mid January, a snail kite, that was injured on Lake Parker and he took it to an, a rehab facility and the snail kite died two days later and the neck neck necropsy necropsy. I think that's what they do. It's like an autopsy for, was that right? 
I don't know. I'm not looking it up. Y'all, y'all are all smarter than me. You know what this is. Anyway, they did this thing. They did a study on the bird after it was done. It was banded allegedly. Um, 81 was in the band of our camera letters, but they did a necropsy on it. And that just sounds right. The way I'm saying neck, neck croppy, neck cropsy, neck, neck crop. Anyway, they did that on it and found a lead pellet in the bird's wing. And because one of the hunters on the last hunt of the season was found to have lead shot in his boat, there was no evidence of him using lead shot. He was issued a warning because the the story I heard was that it, he was using his father's boat and the lead shot was in a case in the back or in a like in a compartment in the back. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just the story I heard. But I know there was a there was a warning, not a citation. So usually like if there were a bunch of empties for lead shot laying around in the boat, he may have been given a citation. But. Now we have connected the snail kite that was found, as I understand it, two weeks earlier to the guy that was found two weeks later with no evidence of lead shot. And there is, it was acted as though that is clear evidence that a hunter shot a snail kite. I want to be a thousand percent abundantly clear about this because I'll say I'm wrong about a lot of stuff. I'm not wrong about what I'm about to say in the history of the world. There has never been a hunter that shot a snail kite. There may have been a poacher. There may have been a wildlife violator. There may have been a scumbag dirt ball, but there has never been a hunter that has done that. Okay. There may have been someone that was under the guise of hunting, but I don't consider those people hunters. And I don't know any hunters that consider those people hunters. And you got to stop. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, like if someone robs the bank and I find out that they're Episcopalian, I don't say, I don't call him out as being an Episcopalian because he did that and I'm sorry if I offended any Episcopalians in this, but my point being that's not a hunter that did that. If that is in fact what happened, but the kite was found on the other side of the lake also in a cursory outreach to FWC. So I've not given them a ton of time to dig into this at the time of the recording, but in a cursory outreach to FWC, I can't find anyone for this agency entrusted with the snail kite that knows anything about a dead snail kite. Um, similar with us fish and wildlife it again a cursory like text message hey quick phone call do you know anything about this no let me dig into it kind of responses so i'm not quite sure i'm not calling that speaker a liar at all because i definitely think something like that could have happened and slid under the radar because you know how government bureaucracy sometimes works but at the same time a snail kite being shot with a with a lead pellet is usually something that would skyrocket up the ranks um, in the circles that I roll around in in Florida. Like that's not something that just slides by and no one hears about it ever again. So um, just super strange and super strange that that's coming out now um, at this point in the conversation. And it's super strange that no one is digging into that. I mean, the Lakeland Ledger, that newspaper has gone full bore into this, man. They are all in on how can we cancel honey? The other thing that was really interesting was the lady that has kind of led the charge on this. Her name is Judy. Oh, I'm going to get wrong. Jalbert Kaler or something like that. She's got a hyphenated last name. She, um, she discovered that somewhere in the asphalt. So this is a lady that lives across the street and feeds the ducks and has been mad about this whole time. Through her research, she has found somewhere in the asphalt where lead shot has landed and penetrated the asphalt. And um, she, being the expert 
forensics person that she is, would like everyone to know it is not birdshot, uh, quote, it is buckshot or gunshot. I am fearful of gunshot, guys. Like, I've been hunting all my life. I'm not sure what gunshot is. I find that to be a concerning thing if anyone's using that. Um, please stop. Please don't use gunshot anymore. Come on, man. Like, it's just crazy town to me that we're at this point in the conversation where a person can stand up and make these sorts of claims that are unsubstantiated and the politicians have to react to them because if they don't react to them, what happens? Like, were they elected to be reactionary or were they elected to lead? Because I don't understand why they can't push back on that and say, ma'am, there's no such thing as gunshot. That's a, that's a fictional word that you just made up. Um, also like, I know we're, we're way out of the forensic files idea here, but you don't just get to go play detective on the street and say, Oh, look, this is clearly from the duck hunters because it penetrated the asphalt in the sidewalk over here. That suits my narrative. We, we have a term for that. It's called confirmation bias. Um, no, like, like this is crazy town to me. So, um, the city, the city attorney has directed the city commissioners. Um, they voted to send this entire issue off to Ashley Moody, the attorney general's uh, office so that she can review it. Her office can review it and determine if it is even legal to hunt on Lake Parker because it is not expressly stated in any rule that FWC has that you are allowed to hunt on Lake Parker in Lakeland. So um, I'm really interested in that whole thing playing out. I My game theory side thinks there's not a downside to it, but I could be wrong. Um, I am curious about if they don't expressly state that you can hunt on Lake Parker how that's going to affect whether or not they expressly state if you could boat, if you could fish, if you could water ski, if you could nuisance strap alligators, if you could build a dock, if you could pull plants, if you could spray plants, if you could litter. Like, like there's so many things that are done on Lake Parker that are not expressly stated. I'm curious if that is the new baseline that we're going for here. Um, I, okay. Okay. Like, next like let's let's go on that um i have reached out to some attorneys on the fwc side i've been unable to get any of them to respond um so we'll keep trying um watching that anxiously it's like once a week once every two weeks i spend an entire day on lakeland rhas rhas in general i also know i'm gonna loop back around to our um elected officials working for us and having our backs i also know that um FWC did take some elected officials out on the lake last week. So I'm really interested to see when those elected officials reach out to the sportsman's community for their perspective, particularly the sportsman's community that has had their back on so many issues over the past few years. Um, Not saying that's why they should reach out to us. No, I am saying that's why they should reach out to us. They should have a conversation with the sportsman's community. Um, And if they don't, I'm really like, okay, damn the torpedoes kind of deal. Like, like, I don't know. You guys are getting me unfiltered tonight. Number four on my list. I'm, I'm getting close, guys. I'm almost like the last two are going to be really fast. Number four on my list is exciting news, um, but also sad news. So we have a new FWC commissioner. Um, Governor DeSantis this past week 
man, at the time of this recording, it was five days ago. I don't know anyone that pays more attention to this stuff than the group of people that I'm in. Like we pay close attention to Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission stuff. Like I've got some Google alerts and things. I didn't know about this until Sunday. So FWC um, appointed a uh, governor DeSantis appointed a new commissioner. His name is Albert Mari. Um, I don't know really much about him. I'll tell you what I do know about him is that he has a wildlife violation on his record recently for violating a manatee zone in Marco Island. I'm going to be honest in a state of 21 and a half million people. I would think you could find someone without a wildlife violation. That's that, that is me just being gut level honest, but I also recognize that sometimes the markings on manatee zones are pretty frivolous and anyone out there that has ever guided or fished in Tampa Bay would no longer be eligible to be an FWC commissioner because I've seen all of you knuckleheads violate manatee zones repeatedly. Every time you leave the Cockroach Bay boat ramp. Um, in fact, I don't even know why we have signs up out there because no one pays any attention to them. And frankly, I do because I'm terrified of it and I'm terrified like of the podcast that would happen after I got a citation, but I always feel like an idiot because like I run way out and then around those signs so that I'm out of the manatee zone and then, you know, put, put my way in. Um, and then I watch guide after guide, after guide, after guide with sponsor logos all over their boats, just run out the channel and make a hard left or right and burn right through the manatee flat. And it would seem like to me, a no brainer place for an FWC boat to just sit and, you know, like write down boat numbers and didn't go sight people. Like they could have a video camera set up there and probably, probably they could buy us a new WMA with all the tickets they could write off of that. But, um, for whatever reason, that was not important. So I'm not, I'm not marginalizing speeding in manatee zone, except to say, I know a lot of people that have a lot of PR, a lot of money behind them and a lot of publicity and are really respected in the fishing conservation space that have zero regards for manatee zones as well. Um, so I, I don't really know what I'm saying there. Anyway, it would seem like we could find a commissioner though, that didn't have a wildlife violation. Um, it is super exciting, though, to those of us that um, fish on, on the West Coast and hunt throughout the state of Florida to once again have a commissioner that is based on the Southeast Coast of Florida. Um, so that, thankfully, that keeps our total of commissioners. So we have seven. Six of them live on Florida's East Coast. One of them lives in the villages. So I feel like that is really good representation of our state and shows um, great leadership and forethought and in touchedness with our um, constituency and, and the folks that fish hunt and enjoy um, all of our great state. And I'm saying that as a guy that's complaining in the middle of the state, can you imagine how you would feel if you lived in Pensacola or Tallahassee or Weewahitchka? How about that for a deep cut reference? Apalachicola, Cedar Key, like again, you would think in a state this size, you could find some representation from around the state. I know, I know that the governor gets donations from around the state. Like they're not all from one County or one city or one five of the seven commissioners live within like a hundred mile stretch on the East coast. I mean, that's seriously, and I'm, I'm not knocking any one of them as an individual. It just seems bizarre to me that we can't find people outside that particular area. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, so slice them and dice them however you want, but Mari Barreto, 
Nicholas, Hudson, Rude. I'm missing one there, I think. I'm definitely missing one there. Anyway, replace any one of them with someone from somewhere else in the state. But I'm not saying you got to replace. I'm not saying, you know, oh, Beretto's terrible or Mari's Teller. I'm not saying that. I am saying, though, it's bizarre to me that we can't get representation or people that understand more than going to catch sailfish and then getting on an airplane to go shoot Nilgai in Texas to um, kind of manage and oversee our hunting and fishing. And with a great degree of sadness, I would like to bid farewell to Commissioner Michael Soule, um, who I thought served the agency well as a stakeholder and as a guy that's been to about four trillion of these meetings. I can't think of a guy in my mind recently that has done a better job than Mike Soul did um, at just trying to engage on tough issues. He was contrarian, but not contrarian in a bad way, not in a negative way at all. Like he really, he really challenged staff respectfully. He really wrestled with issues. And to me, it's a sad day for the state of Florida that he's not sitting up there anymore. And this, the new guy may be fantastic. I don't mean that as a, as a reduction to him, but it definitely mean, I don't think we're better without commissioner soul up there. Um, I had the utmost respect for him and he and I have very frankly had some, some candid arguments off to the side, but respectful arguments like disagreements. Um, this is a guy that at the snook summit or the redfish summit or spray meetings, this is the commissioner that would show up there. Uh, that's that's a big deal to me as a stakeholder to see that guy is out there in the trenches. This is a guy that um, you know I, it would it wouldn't be shocking to see Mike Soul. I don't think in line at STA three four like he's he 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 felt more like the average guy. Obviously he's he's a VP for an energy company and he was the former secretary of DP and um, he's well to do. He's accomplished and 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 I understand the political aspects of of nominating and and putting these commissioners out there, but I also. Um, Man, that was a disappointment. I don't know that he was let go. I think his term was up and maybe he just wasn't renewed. But um, it was definitely a, a disappointment for so many of us in the stakeholder community to see uh, Commissioner Soul no longer with us. So we wish him well in the future and hope um, our paths cross again. Because like I say, I really respect the way he went about the business of being a, a commissioner. I can't remember him ever missing a commission meeting. Maybe he had to leave early one time, but I can't remember him ever missing a commission meeting. Like he made it a priority and he showed up and I felt like he, he was doing the best he could for the state of Florida. And so um, that will be missed. And that was appreciated. Definitely. The last two things I have on my list, um, I'll, I'll do it this way. I made a post in our, in our private Facebook group. This uh, at the time of this recording, it was yesterday. So um People have asked me, like, man, I'm confused. You're promoting all Florida, but you're also promoting Delta waterfowl. Can you explain, like, what's going on there? So those are my last two items. First, all Florida has been overwhelming me. Thank you guys so much for that. If you're listening to this and you have joined, bear with me. We have a ton of hats coming. We have shirts here, but I've got a ton of hats coming. I'm trying to save on shipping and ship them together. So um, we're hopeful to have those in the first week of May, I think. Um but they're really cool that people are freaking out over these hats. They're the vintage camo ones. And we, we ordered a metric buttload is the, is the quantity. Um, and then we also have some other cool hats coming in. We've got, who knows when we'll get tumblers. We've got uh Tervis or not Tervis Engel metal coffee, tumbler, drink tumblers coming in. Um, those are probably somewhere between here in China. And then all this stuff, when it gets in, has to be wrapped or, or, uh, 
embroidered or whatever the stuff is, but thank you so much. Like we have been overwhelmed this week. I was shocked by how many people have joined. Um, I'm, I'm in the process of handwriting. Thank you notes. I believe that's a big deal. That's, that's a thing that I'm going to fight really hard to keep intact. I don't care if we get 50,000 members, I'm going to try to write every one of my handwritten thank you note or someone on our team is going to write my handwritten thank you note. Like we're going to, we're going to be committed to that. We've received financial donations. Like I, I really am truly blown away and overwhelmed at, at this point because we haven't really gone live yet because we didn't have all the stuff like the member gifts and stuff to give, to give away. But um, just, just blown away by, by all the support. Um, and I'm, I'm so thankful. So Delta waterfowl, obviously we have been promoting the heck out of them as well, because we want to see more Delta chapters in the state of Florida. And why is that? A lot of people ask, well, why Delta? Why not ducks unlimited? I am a ducks unlimited member. Let me be very clear about that. I think ducks unlimited is a fantastic wetlands restoration, wetlands conservation organization. I don't think they are a waterfowl hunting organization. Um, and I don't mean that reductive to ducks. I, I mean that in the most complimentary way. Ducks Unlimited behaves as a land trust a lot. Like they're the land trust that's holding the DeLuca Preserve that went in with the University of Florida. I think it was 27,000 acres. Like that's a massive conservation wind. It's significant in the wildlife corridor. Ducks Unlimited is a player on that space. So not knocking them one bit. But when it comes to sportsman's issues, Delta waterfowl is a better organization for us in Florida because they're not afraid to get in there and mix it up on hunting and fishing issues. Um, whereas ducks is staying in their lane. And I respect that. I respect the heck out of it. Um, but I also respect the heck out of Delta. I've said this many times. Delta's policy team has been tremendous for me, both in um, co collegial support, like, like from a, is that the right word for like a colleague type deal, but also mentorship. Like those guys, Cyrus Baird is younger than me, but that guy's been doing policy work on the conservation stage for a long time. He knows it inside out. He's worked for TRCP. He's worked for SCI. He's worked for Delta. He's worked for council to advance shooting sports. Um, John Devney, who's with Delta. He's a fantastic mentor. That guy's been doing policy work longer than maybe anyone in the waterfowl world. Um, they're, they're, their regional directors, their, their regional directors have reached out to me about Florida issues and asked questions about it. Um, their, their R three coordinator is trying to get involved in Florida and generate interest with the university of Florida and wildlife management students. So they are a good organization. And, and someone asked me, well, why are you promoting them when you're trying to start all Florida? And it's because Delta is going to take on hunting issues. Delta is primarily going to take on waterfowl hunting issues all Florida allows me to take on conservation issues across the board. So I can span from a sportsman's issue to a true conservation issue to a panther issue or, or whatever it is. Like we can, we can kind of get in the woods and mix it up, but we can also connect those things. Like we, we talked about recently with the similarities between the management of Goliath grouper and the management of bears. There's a lot of parallels that can be drawn between that. CCA Florida can't draw those parallels because they're going to go advocate for Goliath Grouper in that in that fishery side. They're not really. I'm not going to. Say, I'm going to say they're not allowed. I know those guys. They're all good guys. They're they're sportsmen through and through, but they're not really allowed to go comment on a bear issue. If they are, they'd have to take their CCA hat off. So we're trying to look at the whole board. But we need players in this state that are willing to really focus in on the things that they are the experts on and. 
That doesn't mean we can't get in a room as well or have phone calls as well and get policy advice on other things and draw these parallels and wrestle with some of these issues. So um, you're going to see me continue to promote Delta waterfowl just as much um, as I do all Florida. And I said it yesterday, as long as we have breath, I will quote, okay, she won't remember saying this because this was, I think she did an interview with me like a year and a half or two years ago now. Um, but I had a, a, a friend, an internet friend on Nicole Qualtieri and she's the the outdoor editor for gear junkie. She used to work for meat eater. She used to work for BHA. She's a Montana person. Um, really, I think, I think Nicole's a fascinating individual. Obviously she looks at things through a different lens than I do, but I really, I, I appreciate her. I appreciate her perspective. I appreciate her voice. Um, and she said something that resonated with me when we did an interview and she said, there's plenty of space out there. Why would you not share it? And that's a thing that I've really tried to take to heart. So, when you hear us on other podcasts or you hear us doing interviews or you hear us promoting whatever we can promote or using our platforms for whatever we can use them for, we really want to be thought of as a team player and and people that when we get out there and get a microphone stuck in front of our face, we're not just talking about what we're doing. We're talking about what our friends are doing, the people that we are in the trenches with. And that's a thing. That's a core value to me. Like that's not something that's going away anytime soon. So um, you can join all Florida. By all means, we would love to have you. We would. We need money to keep the wheels turning. It, it is not cheap to do uh, advocacy work in the state of Florida, and they will meeting us to death. And I think you know that uh, you can trust us. Like, we're going to be there. We're going to be in the room, and we're going to fight hard for the stuff we believe in. And I, I think you kind of know the stuff we believe in. But at the same time, I'd encourage you to join Delta. I'd, I'd encourage you to join CCA. Like, there, there are other good orgs out there as well that do a lot of good work in um, – we're all going to work together to keep fighting for our state and keep continuing to try to make our state better. I have talked, believe it or not, for 45 minutes. This is the longest solo podcast I've ever done. I'm sorry for all the dry stuff. If you're new to the podcast, forgive me. Usually there are much funnier co-hosts on here. My wife, Emily, and Nate is our regular co-host, although he's in a class for the next, I'm doing a countdown for the next six weeks. Maybe we'll have Nate back. So, um, but we, we are supposed to have some guest hosts rotating through. I've got a list of guest hosts and, uh, we will, we will be revisiting that here quickly. And then don't leave me on the all Florida podcast, which I'm still working on that behind the scenes to try to get that thing republished and re reallocated out there. But that's the idea of the con conversation series. And I think once I get it stood up, we're going to go back to our top 10 conversations and bring those back under all Florida's flag so that we can kind of reseed the, the landscape and make sure all the feeds are working and everything else. So, um, stay tuned on that. We're, like I said, we're working really hard on it. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. I got, man, my, my mind is just fast tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope everybody has a great week. We cannot wait to, well, we're not going to see you because it's a radio show. I can't see you, but we will see you on the internet. So we'll talk to you on the phone. I'm sure we will see you in passing at meetings. FWC commission meetings coming up in a couple of weeks, May 3rd and 4th. I think those are the right dates. Please let those be the right dates. And there is a Lakeland City Commission meeting. If everyone, anyone wants to come hang out with me on May 2nd, that's a Monday at 9 a.m. Thank you guys all for all you do, for listening to us, for sharing the show, for supporting us through Patreon, for joining All Florida, for buying shirts, buying hats, whatever you've done. We appreciate it all, even if it's just telling someone else about the show because it's the best way for them to find out about it. And in classic Nate fashion, we hope you all all stay woke. Go.